I don't think I took the proper time, so I was a bit remiss in that last evening to thank you, brethren, for planning this series of meetings and for thinking it through about what you wanted to study and what you wanted me to participate in with it, uh, with you all. And I want you to know I really do appreciate that. And uh, I, I was, when Brother Carl asked me if I'd be willing to speak on that subject, I was just downright excited about that. Uh, I really like to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I suppose if there's any one particular subject that I have personally enjoyed uh, putting an immense amount of time study on over the years, it has been the study of the Holy Spirit. So I uh, pray to God that he will give me remembrance of the things that I've planned to say and that uh, they will be beneficial to you. And uh, so I hope God will bless this meeting today and tomorrow and that he will be glorified in the things that we have to say. There are many, many facets of the Holy Spirit that deserve serious study and consideration. And by the time we're done today and tomorrow, you may say, well, we just about wore this subject out. But we had to condense a lot of things into the things that we're going to talk about, and we had to choose not to talk about certain things because we didn't have sufficient time to do that. There's so much said in the Scriptures about the Holy Spirit. And the more we study about the Holy Spirit, the more we find the Scriptures has to say about the Holy Spirit, I think. We can look at the work of the Holy Spirit as they're revealed throughout the history of man from the very beginning. And, and we'll do that. We, we touched on that last night. In fact, probably a little more than touched on it. And also as recognized throughout the revelation of God's redemption of man because ultimately we're talking about God's way of redemption and God's scheme of redemption and even how the Holy Spirit has a part in, in that redemption. And I hope this will increase our knowledge and appreciation for the Holy Spirit himself. We talked a little bit last night, so I'm not going to go back through that. In fact, I had some charts in the beginning of this one to talk about the nature of the Holy Spirit. I think we're just going to let that lie where we left it last evening. But uh, I do want to, to just summarize it in just a few seconds to say God is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And, and we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. There are a variety of names and designations, and I you know, went home last night and spent a few minutes looking in notes, and I looked at them early again this morning. I said, I need a chart on the names and designations and things of the Holy Spirit. And I said, no, we're going to stop there because we have to explain all of them if we do that. But there are a lot of different ways the Holy Spirit is mentioned and referred to in the Scriptures. But as we start this morning, we just want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to start where we... Uh, did last night. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit's work uh, being involved in, in the creation of the universe. And you know, sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and I just find that it's as people write on it and as, they, as, uh, as I look, at, uh, look up sermons on it and uh, listen to what people have to say about it, and even, uh, even among the denominational world, there's, it's not that there's not some emphasis on the Holy Spirit, but quite often 
their misplaced emphasis or misunderstood emphasis. Uh, b- before I got in the building today, I looked up something that a guy was writing about. And what he claimed was he didn't need to memorize Scripture because the Holy Spirit supplied him with the knowledge that he needed uh, whenever he needed it. So there was no need for him to memorize Scripture. Now, I-, I really felt that was kind of a little bit arrogant. And I just posted on his thing, uh, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. And I want to know if the Holy Spirit's going to tell him what I meant when I said, well, that's incredible. I mean, if you... You think about that. Many want to, uh, to, you know, to discuss and limit the Holy Spirit's work to a modern uh, evangelical perception of miraculous works. And we're not really going to spend a whole lot of time on it. We're going to talk about its place in the things that we're talking about and are going to be part of that which we talk about today. Um, but I'll just say to you, this can be as erroneous as limiting the work of the Holy Spirit to the revelation and confirmation of the New Testament. Sometimes that's what we do. We say, well, this is what the Holy Spirit did, and he was done with that in the first century, and we just kind of retire him and forget about him because that's the perception that we have. God used the Holy Spirit in the creation, and we established that last night from Genesis 1, verse 2. Uh, God's Spirit was hovering over the face of the water, and and we talked quite a bit about that. In Psalms 104, verse 30, he says, You send forth your spirit, and those, you know, and they are created, speaking about the things of, of, of the heaven. God used the Spirit then in the creation of the heavens. Um, uh, Psalms 33, verse 6, and, uh, and all this was done in conjunction, not separated apart from. We talked about the powers last night being united and they being one. This was done in conjunction with the works of the Word, and we talked about that from, first, uh, or from John. First uh, John, or I'm sorry, the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one through three, um, and all things were made by Him, and we coupled that with uh, Colossians one and verse sixteen. And then what we see is that He was involved in the creation of man Himself, and uh, in, in the creation of the very first man. In Genesis one, verse twenty-six. He said, and God said, let us make man in our image. And the us was introduced in, in verses 1 and, and 2. So let us make man in our own image. And so from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was at work. And his work continued, especially as God began to methodically reveal his plan uh, of redemption for mankind. And as I mentioned just a few uh, moments ago, basically, it's all about the redemption of man. It's all about God's, what we sometimes refer to as the scheme of redemption. He is involved in that. So much of what we're going to say as we progress through this lesson today is, has to do with his plan to accomplish that uh, goal of the redemption of mankind and what part he has in, in that redemption. And I, I believe we'll handle that scripturally and we'll show how that works. And it may not be, because I don't know everyone in the audience, it, it may not be the conclusion that you've been taught or that you've come to uh, about some kind of, uh, of uh, touching of your spirit and enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in some miraculous way. We're, we're not going to talk about that because the Bible didn't talk about that. But it does talk about the spirit's role and part in the re- redemption of mankind. So, uh, we'll progress by saying um, we want to talk about the Spirit's work in Revelation. Was he involved, for instance, uh, 
um, in revealing in the Old Testament. What do we find out, uh, you know, about inspiration in, in the Old Testament? Well, in Old Testament times, the prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, meaning they were inspired of God. And that's part of what, what Paul says as he writes to Timothy, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, Peter said, knowing this first, it seems to me he's saying this is important, knowing this first, put, putting this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came uh, by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's Peter saying the prophets were inspired of God. They did not come up with their own ideas, their own prophecy. God gave them these things to talk about aforetime. And just for a, a good example, is uh, let's just uh, take David, for instance, in, in 2 Samuel of. Uh, uh, verse uh, or chapter 23 and verse 2. And what we find is this is among David's last words. David is, is coming upon death. He's about to die. And these are some of the last things that, that David said. And notice that he says, and this is a claim to inspiration. He says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his words were on my tongue. David is claiming God gave him the words that he was using. Um, so the, the prophets were inspired and the spirit, we're told, was in them. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, of this salvation, and, and I just want to, to make the point here that the context is a discussion of salvation in Jesus Christ. So Peter's talking about that and he said, of this salvation, uh, what salvation? Salvation in Jesus Christ. In this, salva uh, this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Prophecy was telling about things that would come in the future, and especially in this case. And he said, of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them who, the prophets, in them was indicating when he, that is the Spirit, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, now do you see, it, it really in a subtle way, he's just pointing, almost we sometimes say today something is a given. It's just stated, and he just states that as a matter of fact. It's, it's kind of subtle, but what is, he, what is he stating? He's stating the inspiration of the prophets that are going to reveal these things and did reveal those things. And, and they didn't necessarily understand all the things they revealed. Now, Peter says, they knew those things to tell you and now you're discovering them. You know what they are. And so we say, for, for, for example, uh, you know, Isaiah 53. And, and what he said here in the last part of verse 11, Peter said in the last part of verse 11, he says, indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ. Well, who's the prophet that did that? I said, who is a prophet that did that? Not who is the prophet that did that. Here's a, in other words, this is an example. 
And, and we find it in Isaiah 53. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we, are esteemed, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, well, I won't go on into verse 6, but notice he says, by his stripes we are healed. So here he is prophesying of, of the suffering of Christ, being a good example. So the Old Testament prophets were inspired, you know, by the Holy Spirit. But in New Testament times, we find that the Holy Spirit was to guide the apostles in all truth. And what do we have for an example of that? Well, we have what Jesus said to his apostles. And by the way, the context is the apostles in John 16. Uh, that'll be important for us to remember, although I may not remind you of that each time we use John 16. But it's the apostles in, in this particular case. And he said to the apostles, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. Another passage to consider there is John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, I didn't use that passage last night, but we can connect together the idea that we did uh, express last night, that the same thing that the Spirit said, the, the Son said, and the Father said, they all three spake, spoke the same thing. Just a, a, a little aside. So this the Spirit did. These things that we find in John 16 and John 14. And we referred last night <clears throat> to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and the idea that the Spirit revealed the mind of God so that we know what the will of God is. Um and transferred that or relayed that to the apostles. And what we find in verse 12, now we, speaking of the apostles, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given us by God. These things we also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now I want you to notice something you see there. Not in words which man uh, teaches, but in those which the Holy Spirit teaches. He's talking about words. You know what he's talking about there? Plenary inspiration. That's what he's talking about. And I know there's at least three different ways to say that word, so you just choose it the way you want to use it. It's not only the message of ideas given, but it's the very words that God wanted used to reveal to us what His will is. And, and we could go, we're, we're not going to do that, but we could just refer to, you know, sometimes there's an argument made in Scripture on the very tense of a verb. That tells us something about the exactness that the Holy Spirit intended to use when He was giving us the message. That also tells us we need to be very careful about what we do or even how we might... Uh, 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 try to interpolate sometimes uh, the words of, of scriptures. 
So the, these revelations were passed on to us through the written word. And that's what we have when we have the Bible. Those things which the Holy Spirit revealed, laid out to us, written down, and, and down through time we have had them handed down to us so that we know what the will of God uh, is. And thus, the Holy Spirit's role in redemption of man included his work of revealing the will of God. But that's not his only work. He, he's not done when he revealed the, the work of God. But it was also a part of his work not only to reveal the word, but to confirm the word that was revealed. It had to be something. You know, anybody can come. And I'm, excuse me, I'm finding that all the time. People would just say, this is what God told me. You know, I woke up this morning and God had a message for me. I've got a message from God for you kind of thing. And, and I'm saying, well, how do, you, how do you confirm that? Well, that would have been true even for the apostles if they just said this is so. There had to be a way of confirmation. And so uh, we have the work of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. Even in, conf in confirming that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was verified by God through the miracles which he performed. Very similar to the things that he did to confirm the word of the apostles as they came along. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 in Peter's sermon, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. How? By miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as ye yourselves also know. Well, how did God do that? I mean, that's a question that comes naturally to my mind. God, God said he did that, but how did he do that? Well, the Holy Spirit worked with Christ to confirm his work. In Acts 10, verse 38, it says there, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with power. So we search it out. We find the answers, don't we? With power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we're told that God was with him and he did miracles. But how did he do it? He said he did it through the Holy Spirit. That's a thing that we could discuss, you know, in a, when we, you know, maybe more in private. But there, there are certainly some things I think it's worthy for us to, to talk about in, in this approach. And, and we might just note that this is kind of another passage that affirms the deity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself claimed to cast out demons by the Spirit. Matthew 12 and verse 28. <clears throat> he said, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. But the, his claim is, don't miss that point. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, that's the way that he accomplishes that. And by the way, that was by prophecy. There's prophecy about that. And, and, and when we go to Luke chapter 4, Jesus remembers as very young, is in the temple, and he's reading in, in the temple. Where does he read from? He reads actually from Isaiah 61 and, 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 40, and 49. And, and, and what it says there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, um, when he finishes there in verse 21, he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it was, I'm the one. This is who it's talking about. But notice what he says. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he, and, and then it says he closed the book and told me the answer. But if you look at this, he's saying these things are going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And it's all, he was also active in confirming the apostles of Christ and their teaching. He confirmed their message through gifts given by the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, the Hebrew writer says there, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, by Jesus, <clears throat> And was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So those who were in his presence, those who, who heard those things. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So how did he do that? Through the Holy Spirit. All right. And Paul says, as, as they traveled about proclaiming the gospel, as he did that, Romans chapter 15 and verse 19. I apologize for my voice, but it does this sometimes. So. <clears throat> In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem... And about, uh, about Eurycum, I have fully preached the gospel uh, of Christ. So as the word was being revealed and confirmed, it was the Spirit of God at work. But as the Spirit was being preached, the Spirit was also at work on those who listened with honest and good hearts. Well, it's on work of others as well, but it was successful with those with good and honest hearts. And that brings us to the Spirit's work in regeneration. How does that work? Well, first of all, the Word had to be preached. You notice the difference between that and what I said a little while ago? The Word had to be preached. And the Spirit in this Word being preached was doing His work of convicting the Word. He revealed the Word, and then the Word being preached accomplished certain things within that. In John 16, remember it said, and when He has come, He will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, and remember what He said about all truth. He would reveal to them all truth. I want you to take your... Your Bibles, and I, don't, I, either, I neither have this memorized or jotted in my notes, so I have to turn there. In, in John 16, in verse, uh, verse 5, in, in kind of in, in introducing the work of the Holy Spirit here, John says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and this is, this is, of course, uh, Christ in, in Jesus himself in, in uh, making this comment. He said, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, 
Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he goes on to, to, to fill that out. But the point I want us to see there is that his work was to do this convicting, to bring this to a conclusion, uh, in their minds, to a conclusion. So, for instance, or, or for example, that's considered the events uh, of, the, of the day uh, of Pentecost. And I'm not going to read that whole account because I, I believe most of you are, are familiar with that. But just kind of if you want to uh, flip over to Acts chapter 2 and, and, and glance at these verses as we're, as we're uh, you know, summarizing them. Uh, the, in, in chapter 2 verse 4 it says, The Spirit gave the apostles utterance. I, I like that word, utterance. Uh, by the way, every major translation uses the word utterance here, except the NIV, and it says the Spirit enabled him. But all the other translations use the word utterance there, and it's from a Greek word that means to enunciate plainly. In other words, it's clear. To speak forth. The Spirit gave the apostles utterance, and then... Peter preached Christ to them, according to uh, verses 23 through 24, and again, verse 36. And the people in the audience, at least some of them, were convicted of their sins. They, the scriptures say they were cut to the heart. Uh, they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? And then they're given instruction to repent and to be baptized. Acts 2, 38 and 39. And those uh, who, who believed did what they were told to do. And, that, and that's kind of the, the, the rest of the things that are said there, uh, at least for the things we want to, to uh, convey to you now. A point that I want us to think about. When, when Peter and the other apostles were asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? Where did Peter get the answer? Did he just say what he thought was good or convenient for the time? No, the point here is the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit inspired them with the answer. And I think it's a good point for us to make when we're teaching people. Here are people the very first time the gospel is being preached after the resurrection of Christ. And, the, and they're convicted of their sins by the utterance of the Holy Spirit. And they ask the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? I want to ask this, could Peter get the answer wrong? Or is he right in the answer that he gives? And what does Peter say? Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter couldn't get it wrong. We might mess it up and misunderstand it, but let me tell you, Peter didn't get it wrong because he had the utterance of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so those that heard this message who believed gladly did what they were told to do. And about 3,000 people responded to that message on that day. 
So thus the Spirit convicts the world uh, through His revealed and confirmed Word wherever it's preached. That, that's true even today. And those with honest and good hearts will bear the proper fruit. That kind of you go back to the parable uh, of, of the sower, Luke chapter 8, and you know, those are the good, that's the good ground as a result of that. So, as the Word was obeyed, those who obeyed the Spirit's word were baptized. And in their baptism, they experienced, they experienced the, watching, the washing excuse me, of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In, in Titus chapter 3, let's take a moment at this, at this passage. In, in Titus 3 and verse 4, it says, but when the kingdom of God our Savior and His love toward us, man appeared, verse 5, not by works of righteousness. Isn't this a kind of a favorite passage of denominations to say, not by works of righteousness? And in that, it's an effort to eliminate any activity or obedience on our part often. But let's look at that passage a little more closely. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, according to His mercy, He saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, think about what Paul says here for a second. Paul says here, actually, the washing, that's baptism, is not a meritorious work accomplished by us. I think everyone would be in agreement with that. He says the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit is justification by grace. So you want to know what justification by grace is? Paul tells us right here, it's the washing of regeneration. It's what God set up, and this is the way he set it up to do it. You know, there's a similar passage making essentially the same point elsewhere in the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 11. And such were some of you, and that's after giving a list of some egregious things that people were guilty of doing. The kind of people we were before we became Christians. But he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Same elements in this passage as in Titus 3. All right? And thus they were being born again. They were being regenerated, not of water only, but of water and the Spirit. And isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 3? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he had just previously said that two, two verses before that in, in, the, in our verse rendered Bibles, uh, that except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit in response to the preaching of the gospel does not end the work of the Spirit, though, in the life of the Christian. Because we also read in Scripture that the Holy Spirit has a work in 
sanctification. Even in our initial sanctification, you know, we're told uh, that we are, are translated out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. There, there's a transition made. It may not be directly related to the word sanctification, but isn't that the idea we're separated from one thing and placed somewhere else? Sanctification involves the idea of being set apart. And really the idea of being set apart for a purpose, and the purpose is for a holy use. If we don't get anything else done in our study about the Holy Spirit, I hope we can conclude to say all these things about the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with our being a holy people and, and, and our being a people that are pleasing to God because we are to be holy like God is holy. And that has to do with even the temple that we are for the Holy Spirit. It means to be set apart, to, to be consecrated. Sanctification began in conjunction with our washing and justification. So let's go back to, to 1 Corinthians 6. He said, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were, being, or you were justified in the name of our Lord and by the Spirit of our God. And so in obedience to the Word of God, we are sanctified by the Spirit. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, Paul writes there, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Well, this is the how that he's talking about. And what is the how? He says through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. They're inseparable. Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth are inseparable things. But that's how God chose to accomplish that. It plays a part in our, our role in living holy lives, this idea of sanctification. In, in Ephesians 3 and verse 16, Ephesians 3 and verse 20, and some, someone mentioned the, the, at least the ideas of these last evening after the, after the lesson. Here Paul says to the Ephesian Christians that God strengthened us by His Spirit in the inner man. What does he mean by all that? We can share ideas on that. But you know what he says? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That kind of puts something on the table for us to think about, doesn't it? In verse 3 and verse 20, just a few verses later, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power of that works in us. Now, I'm hesitant to go out and start trying to define everything that that is because I don't have the information to do that with. Maybe you do or you see it elsewhere where I don't, but I don't see it in this context. But it tells me it's there, doesn't it? For me to think about. And it is with the aid of the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the body. That's the principle or the idea of Romans 8. 11 through 13. 
also, you know, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. And in Colossians 3, 5 through 9, he says, Therefore, put to death the members which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which ye yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemies, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. What's to be accomplished in this? We're new people. We're different people. And so I hope you see the connection between the sanctification of the Spirit and, and, and the need for us to be holy people. Also, the Spirit's work in intercession. Turn with you to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. There Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I'll just tell you, before I move on to my conclusion, brethren, I don't know the answers to all the questions which you might ask about this passage. I told you last night, I don't know all the answers to some of the questions that I ask about these various passages. But I will tell you this. I do not deny this passage, and it does not keep me from believing the passage, not to fully understand perhaps what's being said within it. And you might say, well, what you don't understand might be a denial of it. But I don't think that's true, and I don't think it's even possible. I believe this passage because it says these things to us. Well... We've at least briefly looked at the work of the Holy Spirit in creation, in revelation, in confirmation, in regeneration, and even in intercession. But what I want us to take from us looking at the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit is how blessed we are because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We're not talking about an entity that has been inactive and dormant or even retired from the end of the first century. These things the Spirit is still active in doing. How important is this work? Well, I'll just tell you, our very existence, our physical existence is the result of the Spirit's work. And our eternal destiny our spiritual regeneration is dependent upon the Spirit's work. But I want to conclude our, our, uh, this part of our, our presentation today by simply saying one can only receive the benefit of the work of the Holy Spirit if they're obedient to the word revealed by the Spirit and receive the washing of regeneration. It's a point you know, Paul makes plainly 
to Titus. And how much better for us, brethren, to obey the truth and be born, you know, again by the Spirit working through the incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. Amen. That's the way we're going to do it. That's the way it's accomplished. But it's not independent of the work of the Spirit itself. Thank you for listening.